look here i got my own journal and it feels so surreal i love journaling and some of the benefits are like it reduces stress and it helps you keep your memory sharp so this setup that i have in this journal i have used for like about five years and it's just the three things that are important to you something that you're grateful for something that you're proud of something that i dream of and something that i pray for it's simple but efficient <laughs> you can find it on amazon and you can put it uh you can show in the show notes and then I, now i have notebooks as well so go check them out if you like butterflies and uh sloth uh hopefully i will have it for the next time <laughs> anyways hope you enjoy this episode now hello welcome with uh to life with frenzy podcast uh with this oh my goodness with this place i want to create a community where we support one another in business and personal life um i like to talk about mental health self-love self-care trauma hobbies and more hope you enjoyed this episode now let's get the show started on today's episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Michelle, who was married for many years and was a stay-at-home mom for two children in 2015. In 2015, Michelle realized that her husband was addicted to drugs. In this time, she had experienced financial, emotional, and sexual abuse from him, which turned into sex trafficking for her. She has become a strong mom for her children, in addition to being an advocate and mentor for the other women and teens who suffered any form of trauma and abuse. Her story is compelling, heartbreaking, and yet full of hope and reconciliation. This episode was thanks to Podmatch, a great community for podcast hosts and podcast guests to have tools, resources, and more. Uh, it helps do create, create amazing collaborations like this one. You can find access to this community and all the links for my today's guest on the show notes. Now, let's welcome um, Michelle to the show. Tell us, what is life with you, Michelle? Hi there. Thanks for having me. Life is fun. Life is chaotic. Uh, life can be scary at times. Um, life is me still being a mother and a woman trying to live on her own and uh, repurposing herself. That's where life's at. Nice. I love that. And I forgot to do the disclaimer on the video that we're not uh, showing your face, you know, to protect mm -hmm. your identity, identity. Mm -hmm. And I just want to feel a creative community, you know, where we all feel safe and comfortable yes. to share our stories. Thank you. So I, you're very welcome. And I, it's an honor for me, you know, to have you on my podcast. And so how did share us a little bit about your story? I'm sorry, you kind of broke up there a little bit. How did I? Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, a little bit about your story. Tell us a little okay. bit about your story. Um, so I was uh, married for over 20 years, and I was a stay-at-home mother to two special needs kids. And living the life, I was, you know, a room parent. I was a PTA president, community leader, community volunteer, giving back to kids. 
um, all of that. And I was very supportive in my family. We had very traditional roles in our households. Uh, my former husband had his own business and he went to his office. Nobody kind of knew where he disappeared to. Um, and he came home and had, you know, what looked like the white picket fence, dinner on the table, that sort of thing. What I did during the day was managed my kids and their doctors and their teachers and tutors and advocates and the school board fought for their rights. I was an advocate for other kids that had needs. Um, and that's, that's how it started. Uh, what happened though was after 17 years being married and being in a world that looked on the outside perfect, so to speak, whatever that means, it really wasn't because I didn't know what I didn't know in the sense that I didn't know that my partner or I thought was my partner was going out living a double life and the double life included alcohol and drugs and sexual deviance and, you know, special massages and, you know, having an internet presence and all of that. And with that, at one point I had lost somebody very dear to me and I came home from that funeral and said, I wanna live my life to the fullest. And I didn't realize who I was saying that to. And there's two sides to that. It's him being validated and justifying everything he's already he was already doing. And then it was him literally and figuratively, you know, taking my hand and walking me through a tunnel into the world of Alice in Wonderland of where that included all of those things. And, you know, what happened was, you know, it, I became very pressured and coerced and groomed into uh, doing the, doing drugs and, and drinking more than I ever would, going out and eventually trafficking of me by him. And it was of quite a few groups of people that we were friends with. Um, I was alienated from my family and the friends that I had through school organizations, women's organizations, all of that was no longer a part of my life because they weren't quote unquote fun enough because um, they weren't dark enough. It wasn't a lifestyle that he wanted to live. Therefore it wasn't available to me anymore. And that went on for about six years. Wow. Um, there, there's one of the questions that I like that you have posted mm -hmm. on your website mm -hmm. and is um, why did you stay in your mm -hmm. situation for so long? Because that's like the first yeah. question that everybody Everyone asks. asks. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. So why did I stay? Well, you know, it doesn't happen quickly. The, the change in the switch happens very, very slowly. And I attune it to the frog in the pot of water. You put a frog in a pot of cold water and slowly turn the heat up. Nothing's gonna happen to it. It's gonna die eventually, but it won't realize it. But if you put it in a pot of hot boiling water, it's gonna jump out immediately. It's not gonna stay in there because it knows it's gonna die. Well the grooming process started very, very early on with what we know now as the love bombing, the red flags were there. There was no social media or, or, or internet or cell phones even when I met him. 
So I didn't know what a narcissist was. I didn't know any of that. Nobody did. And after just a couple of months, he proposed to me in front of a huge crowd of people. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, your family, your friends, and, you know, you're dating. And, you know, I was already in my career. I'm, I'm a licensed healthcare worker. And, you know, I was 22 and I had already been in my career at the time. So now I'm 25 and it's like, okay, well, what's the next phase? And, you know, he's older and had more experience and he knew what to do and what to say. And so we ended up getting engaged very quickly and it started then. Now, you know, being able to look back because hindsight is power, you could really see, you know, all of the things and you have to be out of it. And I've only been out of it a few years. Um, but I can see now going backwards with the awareness that we have to our ability, you know, in our, in our wheelhouse now, we have that awareness. And I can see exactly where it all went wrong and how it went wrong and all the things that happened. And it was a very slow process of him training me, grooming me, whatever words you want to use to do the things that he wanted me to do. And I just thought that I was being a loving wife. We had traditional roles. I was raised in a traditional household and the youngest of a lot of kids. Um, his parents were married still. Mine are still after 60 years each. And I wanted the same thing. So he knew how to play that angle. And I had to, even though I, I had my career and I was independent before I met him, somehow it, the tables turned and I became dependent on him financially, emotionally. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, all of it. And he, you know, he promised everybody that he would protect me and provide for me, you know, again, very traditional. And, you know, so I, I stepped into that and I gave him that honor and that grace and respect. But again, I didn't know who I was giving that to because he was definitely the wrong person to do that with. Um, and so why did I stay? You know, the point where I realized I had to leave was it was really dangerous. Um, I, I knew that if I had stayed any longer, I would not have survived. But I stayed for the most reason why everyone does is because of the family. Because it, it was, you know, it's like if you've been through anything in your life, you're like, I can get through this. I can do this. I can get through this. Or you justify it in your head or make excuses for them or protect them. I mean, the amount of times I could have called, you know, the authorities, I didn't, or I didn't tell anyone what was going on. Um, you know, I was told in my ear, you know, you want this, it's making our marriage better. Everyone's doing it. You know, if anyone knows, you know, they might take the kids away from you. Like all of this stuff I was being told. So I was, I was scared. I, was, I believed him because he was my husband for so long. Um, I was definitely sleep deprived. And I, I, again, make the analogy of being in a whirlpool of some sort or in the bottom of the ocean and the waves keep hitting, you keep trying to get up and hitting. At some point you're spinning and you don't know which way is up. And that's where I was. So even though I wanted to leave, I, I didn't know how. Um, at some point I didn't have the energy because it's a catch 22. As much as I wanted to go, I had to 
please him because otherwise the abuse would go on, the emotional abuse, the shame, the guilt. Um, the attention was taken off of me and put onto other people, men, women, groups, whoever. It wasn't me. And as his wife, I was like, well, what do I have to do to get his attention back? Um, all of that self-esteem and that power that I had, um, I gave it away and he took it. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you can kind of let your guard down and your walls down that you might have as a person, especially a woman. But again, you have to look and see who it is that you're giving it to. And, you know, this is somebody who I'd been with, you know, when this started, we were married for 17, 18 years already. Um, so I trusted. And it wasn't until like a year and a half into all of this that he really, really started to change physically emotionally, verbally, financially would open up accounts, you know, I would find out that were in his name and somebody else's. So I had no access to it. Um, the financial abuse is still happening, even though we've been divorced for a few years. Um, that always is the case usually here. And along with that comes emotional abuse. But so why didn't I stay? I was scared and I didn't know where to go. I didn't have anyone to go to. My girlfriends were now his friends. He convinced them, mm. but he had enough. In his, he had enough in his pockets um, that you know when he walked into a party or somebody's house, there's a common denominator, and that was alcohol, drugs, the deviants, and so you know like the drugs are in one pocket, and I'm in the other. And at some point, it was like, here, this is for you. I would walk in with a plate of homemade cookies because that's how I was raised. You know, <laughs> he would walk in with other things without my knowing. You know, at some point we're driving and he tells me that he's got what, you know, some stuff in the trunk and he tells me what it is. And I was like, are you kidding? We're, we're both together parents. Like, God forbid we should get stopped. We're both going to jail. And I had no idea. Um, you know, he would whisper things. We'd be standing in line at security and he'd whisper, hey, I put something in your suitcase, just letting you know. And there's dog, you know, the dogs that are like a foot away or whatever. And he was joking. But, you know, he would always say to me, um, I love putting you in uncomfortable situations. So, you know, the staying part, it was, it was for the children mostly. And what do I do? And I never saw a future without him because I've said this before, four days on, three days off. They're great for four days, right? I love you. Here's the flowers. You know, I'm going to bring home dinner tonight. What do you want? Or you rest. I'll take care of the kids, which never happens, but it, you know, just those things. And then the three days are, I'm going to use and abuse you, but then I'm going to give you flowers on that other day. And that's just the typical cycle of an abuser. And again, it could be a man, it could be a woman. And it's, it's really hard to know, is this only in my thoughts? Is this really happening? Is this really abuse? Did I really want it? Because those are the things that were being said to me. Even after I left through email, those are things that were being said to me um, and said to everybody else that I knew in the community. So wow. that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, my heart breaks for you, but <laughs> like, I'm, I'm glad that you're on the other side. Oh, now. I am. And I am. Uh, trying yeah. to help others because that's, oh, absolutely. that's what I'm trying to do as well. Mm -hmm. So I love mm -hmm. to bring people on my yep. podcast, you know, on the same mission of mm -hmm. like, hey, 
I yeah. have one shitty ass past. Yeah. yeah. And it sucked. Right. And yep. I survived. And mm-hmm. here's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it might help you. If not, That's- it will give you a roadmap or at least plant the mm-hmm. seed of right. like, oh, my situation is not the best. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mm-hmm. should uh, do mm-hmm. something else. Right. Um, what was your exit pr- strategy? Um, it was get the hell out. <laughs> no. yeah. Well, it wasn't, I mean, it, unfortunately it wasn't that easy. It took me a good two years. I mean, I remember when my daughter was like, dad, stop yelling at mom, that I knew that I had to end it because it wasn't fair to her and my older kid. It wasn't fair to them. And it got worse because he, you know, they use the word escalation in, you know, apparently the sexual deviant world and in the point he was watching a lot of pornography, which he wanted to become his reality, which was me. Um, I saw that and it was getting worse and worse and worse. It was escalating as the word. The drinking was bad, all of it. It wasn't just enough about going out on the weekends. It was going out every night of the week and it was horrible. So my exit strategy was if I don't leave, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be alive. And I would, you know, I mean, I, we'd go out and I'd have like one cocktail or a sip of a cocktail or a couple of sips and I couldn't hold myself up. I was waking up in, in hotel bathrooms where he'd send my son in to find me and I didn't know how I got there. I was waking up in people's houses and I didn't know how I got there. And I never made the drinks. Either his friend would go outside and get the, the drinks and bring them to me or they would be at a house and all the guys would make the drinks. And, you know, before I knew it, I could see my my behavior changing. And it's like, there was a space, that space that Upper Tolle talks about. It's like, here's your behavior and here's the awareness of your behavior. And you can't stop it, but you see it. And it got really, really frightening to me. And, you know, after a few of those times, I, I went to a safe house and I stayed there. And I tried to get my daughter to come with me and she wouldn't because she didn't want to, she tried a couple of days, but then she wanted to go home to her bed and her stuff and her dogs and whatever. And I knew that they were, they were okay. It wasn't, it wasn't about them. It wasn't about abusing them. It was, me. it was about controlling me and all of that. And so I, I left and I was at this place and it was incredible because my family who had no idea what was going on, really wrapped their arms around me and helped me get to a place where I could breathe even because I was, I was frightened. I was panicked. I mean, I found a, a tracker in my car. He told me he was having people following me. At some point I found out he bought like four phones in one month. Like I didn't know what was going on and it was like something out of a movie. And, um, but that didn't stop me though from being the mom that I've always been, which is that helicopter mom people talk about. Um, that stuff is real. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, people used to make fun of me, but when this happened, and even still now, I would wake up every day at the safe house and, and when it was still dark, and I would drive over to where my kids were, which was like 15 minutes away, wake my daughter up for her first year of, you know, freshman year of high school get her up, get her dressed. I had made the lunch at, at the other house and I didn't touch anything at this house, which was my house of where I lived for the last eight years. Um, and I got her up and I drove her to school, she and her friend. And then I picked her up from school and then 
I made sure, you know, I came home and I saw my son and I made them a snack and I did everything I normally would have done, but I brought the groceries because there were none in the house. He was out most of the time. Sometimes he would come in when she and I were leaving to take her to school at 6.45 in the morning, reeking alcohol. I mean, it was really bad before I left. And then of course, when I left, as he told his friends, like the ball and chain is gone. So, and it's really not, I mean, it sounds like I'm just like bad mouthing him, but it's not, it's like, this is my truth. This is the experiences and it it can happen to anyone. It can happen quickly. And if you were someone like my neighbors who were some of my close friends, I remember one morning I couldn't find my keys or something. And I was frantic because I was working at this point and I couldn't control that panic in my body. And I knew something was wrong. And my girlfriend knew something was wrong, but she had no idea what was going on because it looked great. You know, the posts were great. He was saying how proud of me he was, but, you know, destroying me otherwise. Um, and I think that if anyone had stopped me and asked me what was going on or if I was okay, I would have told them. I had lost 20 pounds in three months and I didn't know how or why. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, again, I wasn't sleeping. I had a job that he had gotten me with um, some of his friends and it was supposed to be something that part-time, but you know, as the person I am, it ended up being like a full-time job that was overtime. And he'd be accusing me of being somewhere instead of work. And it was just, it was all very chaotic in the end. Um, which was almost worse than the stuff that was happening to me before that, which was the trafficking and the sexual abuse in our own bedroom, which was really, really bad. So, yeah, but on the outside looking in, we, I don't look like the face of someone who you would normally see um, at all. And when I went to Women in Distress and they actually told me that I was in a domestic violence, sex trafficking situation. I was, you know, like, come on. It's just my husband who has kinks or whatever it is. And they were like, Michelle, let's, let me educate you because I was so brainwashed, you know? And that's a scary thing. It really is. And you know what? Thank God for social media in that realm that there's so much more awareness now. And you know, thank God for that new movie, Sounds of, Na Sounds of Freedom. Um, you know, I'm the face of that. I'm the face of the Sound of Freedom. Because as, as the title of my website and the book to come, I went from the floor to the door. Um, I spent many nights crying on the floor and he'd go to sleep. Um, I would hide in my closet. I would pretend to be sleeping on the floor so nobody would come near me. I'd pretend to be sick or I would get sick. And so nobody would come near me. I was placed on the floor so people had access to me um, and placed on tables so people could have access or a countertop. And, you know, so I went from all of that into the point where I escaped and I went to the door, so. Wow, I, 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 I yeah. love the analogy and so much mm -hmm. emotion yeah. uh, within that statement. Yeah. And uh, how do you help others now from that burn uh, from 
the born of uh, from the floor to the door. Right. So I help people that have had any sort of trauma. I work a lot with the LGBTQ community um, because my children, well, my child is in that community as are her friends. And I've made many connections with people of that community. And whether you are a believer or not believer, they're still human and people need help and love and acceptance. And that's what I'm here for. And I don't judge anyone because I know what it's like to be judged. And I know what it's like to be in a really bad situation and brainwashed and all of that and unloved. So I help anyone from the child who's been bullied in school to someone like, like myself who had really hard childhood memories and wounds that were exploited in this situation. Um, so I help them get through those and see where that is affecting them. And definitely people that have gone through domestic violence or are going through, I'm an advocate. So I will go with them to the hospital or the doctor. Um, I can diagnose also as a healthcare clinician of someone who has been a victim of domestic violence, whether it be a child, a man or woman. Um, I've spoken to law enforcement and for them, because I always say that that is the most crucial time is when somebody is you know, in a hospital or in a doctor's office or at women distress or talking to law enforcement because there's a moment of hysteria. And I know, cause I was there and it just seems like the person is crazy or they're over exaggerating, but they're, they're scared and desperate for their lives and don't know what to do. And betrayed and all of these emotions so nobody's going to listen to them and that's usually what happens and again there is a little bit more awareness and education especially for our law enforcement but still um, I think I think an advocate is really a great way to kind of fill up that space with some calm intellectual discussion that can't be done with a victim I remember when I tried to get a restraining order um, I, re I was scared out of my mind. I went from the police station to the courthouse and the police wouldn't even look at me. He was like, well, if you know this is going on, then you could be arrested too. And I said, but I don't know what to do. And he was like, we'll take your kids and leave. But, you know, I had a child who was an older teen male and my daughter who was, you know, that mid range. You can't pick these kids up and put them over your shoulder and walk them out the door. They think that you're crazy and that happens for a while. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna leave them alone with him, you know, and his male friends that come in once a week to do a pick, I can't do that. So I stayed and eventually DCF came and did not look at the entire house. They looked at, you know, the kitchen and what did, what did the kids say? Well, you know, someone who's really slick and is great in sales, I mean, even and believes that they're above law enforcement, trust me, they can talk their way out of that. Um, especially when someone doesn't know, law enforcement doesn't know that there's a safe in the corner of the bedroom and it's covered by a piece of cloth to make it look like a nightstand. So, you know, but um, so going back to what I'm doing, so advocating is big. And again, that's something that law enforcement has to really think about. You know, I walk in and I tell them when you go and I've talked to DCF uh, administrators, when you go, this is what you have to look for. 
you know, there could be a small safe or a compartment labeled markers and it's in the child's bedroom or it's a part of the school supplies. Yeah, because I mean, they know, but they know to some extent. And, you know, I feel for them, all of these people, I wouldn't want their job for anything, but I'll be the advocate and I'll be the one to help. I'll be the one to, to certainly help. And then, so, you know, I say the trauma is like a number line from zero to infinity, just like often there's a spectrum, it's the same idea. And, you know, we've all had bullying under our norms. We've all got, we've all got childhood wounds, but then there's more severe. And because I'm, I've gone through that, I've gone through strangulation by somebody and waking up and then still penetrating me. I've gone through rape. I've gone through gang. I've gone through all that. I've gone through coercion and drugs and being, you know, thrown in the back room with men and physically not able to leave. I, I've gone through that. And so I understand and nothing shocks me. Nothing shocks me. I've either been through it or I've heard it or I've seen it. Um, I, I lived in a world where it was very much like the Jeffrey Epstein story, which I only figured out and found out a month ago. My doctor told me that. I was like, come on, what are you talking about? And I watched the show on Netflix and I got educated and I was shocked. I was shocked. And then I had my panic attack because that's what happens. That's reality. And I called about eight to 10 people, my support system, and nobody picked up. No one, not one person. And, you know, I dropped to my knees and, and went through it. And then my body just got tired and got numb after 45 minutes of being hysterical. So I was back on that floor, but for a different reason. That's the second part, by the way. And I looked up out of my window into the sky and the sun's coming through. And I was like, okay, I'm here, I'm open to receive. And, you know, you could think about that in the state of spirituality or God or Jesus, or for me, it's my strong female ancestors. Um, Cause you know, those women before us, they went through things that we have no idea about and they made it survived and we're here for that. So I got that message of, I survived for a reason. And just like you have as well, and, you know, we're here to help other people. So if somebody needs a lighthouse at 4 a.m., you know, go to my website and send me an email and I'll email you back or I'll call you and we'll just hang out because that's usually when it happens. Mm -hmm. Right? That 4 a.m. hour. Well, that's the witching hour, you know. You know it. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. Well, um. I could relate so much to feelings and emotions mm -hmm. while you yeah. were telling your story. Yeah. Uh, mine is not sex trafficking, but I have some trauma because of my biological father. So just, I could relate, you know, to him putting a different face for the public than what he is at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having people that might not believe your story or diminish what you mm -hmm. live through so I just from my heart to yours mm -hmm. just sending you a big hug thank you and the same and Absolutely. thank you and appreciating you know to still tell your story and uh yeah tell us a little bit about your book upcoming book well I've been writing 
my whole life. And it's funny because I've looked back at some of the journals I've done and writing pieces. And, you know, when I would go to certain conventions, I would take, I'm, I'm such a nerd, you know, by, by, by nature. And I love to write. And um, I started reading some of the journals and I never realized even how much it was all about him, mm. how much it was all about a partner or even it's funny because my best friends from we were little are still my best friends, right? Because you got to have the girls, you know, you got to have your people. And we had notebooks that we've, I'm a little older, so we had notebooks that we passed from one class to another that we'd give each other. I don't know, everyone texts, but we had, we had, or we put in a locker and then the other person would get it. And I had recently found those and it was hysterical. Um, but it was very enlightening because even back then in high school, it was always about boys or, you know, a significant other. And my daughter was reading, reading it out loud. And she was so funny doing the voices of each one of us. Cause those are like her godmothers, her aunts. And it was really funny. And she even said, you sound exactly the same, which hello, you know, when you're, when your 18 year old is like showing you a mirror of yourself, it's so scary, but the kids are so smart, which is beautiful. And I love it. Um, but so I started journaling and all of this happened um, right before COVID that I left right before. And within a month of my leaving, I got into my own place for the first time in 26 years. I started working in my licensed career for the first time in 20 years. And I created a home that was similar to what I had um, with as the family because I did that but it was more feminine it was like no boys allowed except for my son and my male dog like no boys allowed no men are allowed in here no, no nothing my you know it was my it was our safe house and and not to say there aren't great men because there are some beautiful men out there absolutely um but for for the time being that's how it was and then COVID hit and I was already in my groove and I was starting to heal, even though I was getting emails from my ex that were malicious and he was telling lies to my kids. And it was just, it was really a hard time, a scary time. And so COVID hit and we were the first ones to get shut down. So now I'm sitting in my room with all of this anxiety. I mean, this is like not even six months after I left. And I didn't know what to do with myself. So we've got, I've got the anxiety and like we talked, you talked about it on another show, you know, your somatic, your nervous system is shot. I mean, my nervous system was shot with, you know, listen, when you get strangled three times or you get a belt around your neck or you get people drugging you from God only knows what, and you know, all of that, it's like, it's shot. And I'm somebody who eats really well and takes care of myself. So this is a whole new thing. So we're worried about COVID and what that really means. And, and a as a healthcare worker, we knew more about it before anyone else did. Um, and, and so it, it, was, it was nerve wracking. So I found that putting pen to paper was the best thing. And it's so interesting. To, if, you, if you are somebody who journals and you look back and you could see your handwriting is so different and where you are in that day, that moment, that year, whether you're really heightened or you're calm or you're sad, your handwriting might change. Take a look at that. 
oh I'm about to yeah I, yeah. I have yeah journals I have yeah the earliest was 2011 yep. okay, okay I, love I that. checked out because yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in the process of moving again mm -hmm. and I gotta get all my journals Same. organized yep. and stuff like that mm -hmm. and yeah right now around yeah. me I have a book bag with like uh -huh. seven journals or notebooks so always that, always it was funny because I, I just that. said the other day that I love my family more than mm -hmm. I love my journals now because oh, wow, my journal good. yeah that's like a huge improvement because that i'm so huge. protective of my mm -hmm. journals and it's like ah and now yeah. i'm creating my own and things like that so yeah yeah girl i mean journaling is where it's at i mean yeah like i, I agree. Say, you know it reduces right. stress yeah. uh, it keeps your memory yeah. sharp it gives yeah. you a different yeah. perspective of your Absolutely. life your yeah. situation i mean it might be a just a day-to-day -day situation mm -hmm. And, you know, and good for brain dumping too, because mm -hmm. your mind is always going 100 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. <sighs> but so yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. So that's so I was going to say. So that's how the book came about is it's a series of things that I've written journaling um, and some of it's specific and some of it's very general. And on my website, um, I started writing and posting pieces of it and um, I'm inspired by things around me every day and what I'm going through. And I know that I'm not the only one going through. Listen, the one thing that we all have to remember, and this is really hard, is that we're not alone. We are all connected in some form or another. And you could be connected to someone who doesn't look like you, who someone is a different gender or, or represents themselves as a different gen gender. It could be somebody who's, you know, 10 years older or younger than you. We've all gone through a lot of the same things in some form or another, and we're not alone. So that's kind of what I like to express in my books, in my writing. And I think with writing also, it, it really, I'm very big into the left brain, right brain balance. It brings out both sides because the left brain, you know, you could write and it's, you have to think about what you're going to write or the grammar or the vocabulary and the right side, it's just like, let it fly let it go, be as creative and descriptive as you want. And, and, it, and it all comes together. Oh, hold on. And, Can you repeat and so that a lot one? of my pieces are that. Yes. So, so when you do that, when you let your left and your right brain work on your writing, it just kind of goes all together. And on, on my blogs, you'll see, like, I, I write a piece about Jeffrey Epstein and, and I, you know, I kind of do like a beauty and the beast and how that really, you know, that situation and, and he's real he was the beast and the whole Stockholm syndrome is on there. And then, you know, I talk about the woman warrior and it could be the male warrior too. I haven't, I haven't written that piece, but to me, you know, obviously the woman warrior and I mentioned Rachel Hollis in it, speaking of one of our favorite authors. Um, so you have to read that. And you know, um, just different things. Uh, Tina Turner is my idol and my hero. Um, I did have plans to meet with her, but unfortunately she passed at her time. She was supposed to, I guess. But I had seen her show and watched her movie recently. I saw her theater show and I started chanting, doing her chant and anyone can find that on YouTube and it is unbelievable. Um, so the first piece I wrote uh, 
were for it, it kind of was was inspired by her. I was inspired by her and the chanting and it's not a full piece of what I wrote, but I'll add to it as I go forward. And that'll that will all be in the first book. And the second book, it's more going to be, okay, you left, now what? Because each phase is is really important and really scary at the same time. Oh, yeah. I have a friend going through it right now, and she just started all the court process and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I just keep reminding her every other day, okay, Mm -hmm. sweetie, you are in the danger zone just because you left him doesn't mean that the danger zone just magically goes away. It's actually worse now. Yeah, you have to give yourself some grace. Um, You have to love on yourself more and just keep reminding yourself that you're doing the right thing. Because when it comes to the when you have kids, I don't Mm -hmm. um, I have Mm -hmm. kids in my family, but not Mm -hmm. from me yet. I understand. And it just feels weird because it's new. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, I don't want to say, no, I don't want kids. I'm like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. the bonus kids. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, when it comes to kids, it's harder because you're attached, especially to their father. And you believe in that mom and dad mm-hmm. should be together and we should stick it out and distance mm-hmm. and that. And I'm like, no, sweetie, we were mm-hmm. all like hoping that you left him a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. But we can only love you and support you in whatever mm-hmm. stage of your mm-hmm. life that you are, you know, right. and for people that have friends going through it you know, stick by them, you know, if you set the boundaries, and that's a boundary for you, then okay, uh, be okay with that decision, I understand, but for the ones that are there for them, like, all you can do is remind them to love themselves and give themselves grace, because they're going through a lot, no matter how, Mm -hmm. how long, you know, right, and that's beautiful, happen, yeah, and that's a beautiful thing that you stated, is to give them grace, absolutely, so that's that she would be the typical person that calls me or reaches out to me. And I would talk to her whether she wanted help or just like wanted a confidant. Because I know for me, a lot of the things I don't tell my family and my closest friends, because number one, I don't want to necessarily tell my family some of the things I've gone to gone through. Because especially because I'm the youngest, like I'm the baby sister or I'm you know, the youngest for my parents who are older, like they don't need to hear the abuse of me getting locked in places or, put, you know, they don't need to hear any of that yeah. nonsense. And I, so, but it's easier. So it's easier to tell a stranger, especially if it's someone who's been through something and there's no, oh my gosh. And there's always a little bit, but it, it comes from love and not from like shock value. And let me gossip about you, um, you know, and uh, the friends that I was hanging out with, even though they knew he was abusive and he was abusive to them, especially the women, when he got inebriated, they're friends with him still. So I lost a lot. Well, they weren't really friends because do you call that a friend if they leave, you know, for that? And and then the other people I was friends with before from like school and the other moms, I'm not gonna tell them these stories. Um, if they ask me, I might answer to some extent, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be like the wall that is deep within our souls that needs to come out. But somebody can call me or reach out to me or we can email or text or whatever is comfortable for them. 
and we can put it out there. Yeah. And because that is that, you know what, we need connection in some form. And that would be the greatest form of connection and release that, that, that your friend would need. Yes. And mm -hmm. on that note, mm -hmm. where can my listeners find you if they wanted to reach out to you? Well, I have a website that is the same title as my book. It's from the floor to the door.com. And you have to put the .com and um, they can contact me on there. They could see parts of what I'm reading. They can read a little bit about. And so I'm the main person on there. I have a few other people, um, other women that have gone through experiences in all tra traumatic that have come through and somebody else might be able to relate to them. Also, I have my child who's helping other teenagers who are in the LGBTQ community or teenagers in general. Um, mm -hmm. She's been working and volunteering in different groups to help with accept acceptance and whatnot because there's too much teen suicide happening and that needs to end also. And, um, and then I also have like, I have two children with special needs. So that alone is also very isolating. And I've been through that realm. I've advocated for that. So honestly, people, if they need advice on that, I can help them with that. So that's how they can reach me from the floor to the door.com. Okay. I will make sure I have those on the show thank note. You. And again, thank you so much for coming on my show. And it was an honor and a pleasure, you know, to have this conversation with you. And yeah. <laughs> thank Thanks, you, thank Francie. you, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing with me also and what you're doing. I tell everyone, you know, you guys are changing lives. All of you that do these podcasts, you really are. And it's it's one of the best things to do when you do feel lonely or scared or sad or upset. You know, I hook up one of Francie's podcasts and you feel like you're listening to one of your best friends. And it's really comforting. So thank you for what you're doing, Francie. Thank you. And mm -hmm. that means a lot because it's really truly my True. mission. Because mm -hmm. like you said, that 4 a.m. Yep. It's Maybe not that's, easy for yeah. everybody. So email, yep. Email me. I get the notification right away. I'll email you back and then boom, we're hooked up. Yeah, yeah. and I love that because mm -hmm. that's what I try to do. Um yes. and bring different guests with different lives mm -hmm. and different situations, you mm -hmm. know, for tools and resources yep. for who whatever you are in life, you know, you might yeah. find something that you can use, you know, use a use it for Absolutely. a roadmap to find right. it help for yourself yeah so thank you so much for that and I do really want to feel like you know I'm just having this was more a serious talk but it still feel like we could have it over coffee absolutely and just we can like have it over vent, coffee you yeah know? for sure <laughs> listen the, the the you know and we have to remember to celebrate ourselves and the best thing about it is when you have a situation like that and I'm gonna use your word that sucked you know I've I really know who I am now I'm definitely a lot more humble. I mean, I always gave to people, but I really have opened up my heart to help people and met people that I never would have met in that other life. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. So let's celebrate that. And this sisterhood, like real sisterhood, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's divine intervention right there. If I've ever heard of it. So I, I love that. Right? I love that. <laughs> right. Well, 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. You know, you can find my show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, my YouTube channel. You know <laughs> the drill. Like and subscribe. Help this girl out. <laughs> Anyways, uh, share it with your friends. Hope you have a blessed day. Bye-bye.